Anyway, we are, we are in the midst of our 40 days of breakthrough series. So we've been praying and fasting to see mountains move, those seven mountains of, of cultural influence in our society. I'm not going to go through it again because I go through it every week, but you know it. If not, go back and listen to the other sermons. But, but essentially, our, our, our desire, God's desire is to see heaven invade earth. So the culture of God's kingdom to transform the culture of the cities, the places, the families that we live amongst. So it's God's desire to see his culture come, his kingdom come to the earth. Now, again, that might be a shift in perspective for some people because uh, there has been, I guess, for many generations, this understanding that God's plan and purpose is to extract us from culture, to rescue us from this broken world and to take us to heaven one day. Uh, but as we read the scriptures and, and read the gospels in particular, if we understand the message that Jesus came is that he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So the good news of the kingdom, he would tell people, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or do you mean, you know, uh, recognize how pitiful and, and wretched I am as a sinner and then pray a prayer that one day I'll go to heaven? No, that's not what Jesus said. He said, you need a, a shifting of your perspective. You need a paradigm shift in order that you might be able to see that my very kingdom is in your midst. It is right Right before you, it is accessible for you today to enter into, and then you might be an ambassador for my kingdom, a carrier of my kingdom and of my culture out into the world. God is not preparing you for heaven one day, God is propelling you to carry heaven out into the earth today. Amen. Amen. That's what we are called to do. Even the, the reality that there will be a new heavens and a new earth one day. So that whole thing just needs to shift, I think, in, in a lot of people's perspective. But that's what it's all about. It's about praying and also acting uh, in ways that would see the culture of the earth shift. That the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdoms of our God, as Revelation says. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So culture... Uh, a way of, ex of expressing what culture is. Culture is the outward relational and behavioral expression of our beliefs and values. So we talk about culture. It's kind of one of those words we can throw around. And it's like, oh, we, we talk about culture in, in, in lots of different ways. But, but essentially, it's where we have personal convictions, beliefs, values. And then when they're expressed kind of corporately amongst people, that is what culture is. So cultures exist in families, so your family might have a different culture to my family. There might be a different way of behaving and relating and, and, uh, and giving and receiving and core values that one family has that will be different to another. And that's natural as, we, as we're kind of raised in a family. We'll take on those kind of cultural attributes. Uh, they exist in communities. So you might have even a whole suburb or a city that has a particular culture to it. That as you walk through the shopping center, you'll notice if I'm in this suburb and I go to that shopping center, there's a culture there. I go to a different shopping center in a different suburb and there's a, there's a different culture there. Okay? Again, it's informed by people and how they express themselves. They exist in nations. So you'll notice that every nation is different. They have their own kind of cultural, um, kind of individual expressions, and they're all very, very different. They exist in people groups, in friendship groups, in sporting teams, in businesses. Even, as I said, just joining this new indoor soccer team, a bunch of 20-year-old guys, there's me, the 40-year-old uh, old guy. And, uh, but I, what I noticed is, because I, I had my own soccer team that I led uh, for, for many years, an indoor soccer team, and, and there was a culture there that was always affirming. Like, I don't recall in probably the eight years that I played ever a single time where we tore someone down in our team. 
And again, it wasn't necessarily intentional. There was a few Christians and, and, and people on the team, but we just always, we just set this culture that we're always going to be affirming. I'm saying of our team, not of the other team. Um, but, you know, we were, or of the refs sometimes, but we were very, you know, self and just always like, yeah, get, you know, get behind it. And so now I've come and I've joined this, this new soccer team and immediately there's this culture that I come into and I'm like, ah, oh, like they're kind of, putting each other down in a joking way and, and there's not a lot of talk and, you know, and revving each other up and geeing each other up and all of that sort of thing. So I come in and we were talking the other day. I tend to find if there's a void of leadership that I naturally kind of step into that place because God has called me to be a leader. He's called us all to be leaders. But, but so I, I'm in there and then the next minute I find myself like, yeah, yeah, good job. And I'm just, you know, screaming out encouragement and, and kind of calling people higher and just being really kind of positive and energetic. And uh, my, my wife does say to me that I have quite a scary voice. Uh, it's, I'm not trying to be scary, but it's loud and it's boisterous, but it's all positive kind of things. But, but see, I noticed coming in, I'm like, hey, wow, this, look, there's now this opportunity that I have to be able to influence this culture of this team in such a small way, but that I might be able to be a person of, of positivity, a person of encouragement, a person that would support and reflect the values of the kingdom in just that little space that I have, this little opportunity. And that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about you needing to be the next prime minister in order to shape the political kind of landscape of the, of the whole of our nation. If God's calling you to it, amen, praise the Lord. Uh, we, we need more good, godly uh, Christians in, in parliament. Um, but um, it's, it's wherever God has called you to be. So it might be, well, I I have a home, which means I have neighbours and, and I live in a neighbourhood. I've got local places that I visit. You might be part of a sports team. You've got a, you might have a workplace. It's all of these different places that God has already put you in, that his desire is that you would see those places as an opportunity for heaven to come, for transformation to take place, for that place. Like it's, it's literally, how could my workplace look more like heaven? That's God's desire. Not how can I get all of my work colleagues saved. That's a really good thing to look out for, to aim for, to be sharing the gospel with people. We want people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. But that's not the only thing that God has called us to do. It's not just to evangelize, although it is to evangelize, because if you have a right understanding of evangelism, you'll understand that evangelism comes from euangelion, which means good news. So Jesus proclaimed the euangelion of the Basileia, which is the good news of the kingdom. So evangelism isn't, hey, you need to pray a prayer so that God doesn't destroy you one day and you get to go to heaven when you die. It's not the gospel that Jesus preached. It's an aspect of the gospel that, yes, there is the saving reality that we get to come into an intimate fellowship with Jesus, that he has paid the price for all of our sin, that we are rescued from the impact and the power of sin. They're all wonderful things. But what Jesus proclaimed is, hey, there's this new reality that you get to exist in. So evangelism, true evangelism, might contain within it people coming to a saving knowledge of Christ, but ultimately it's about the kingdom of God expanding and crashing in and impacting all of those places that we are, that we already exist. The wonderful thing about being a missionary for Jesus is you don't need to do any more work. You don't need to go any different places. You just get to do exactly what you're already doing with a very different intentionality. That you would intentionally say, so my workplace is my mission field. 
My family is my mission field. My neighborhood is my mission field. My sporting team is my mission field. Everywhere that I go, because I am a missionary, I've been apostled by God as a sent one to go out into the world. So everywhere I go. But how often we can get into those kind of patterns of just, well, I go to work to make money and I go and I play sport to have fun or I go to the gym because I want to get fit. And we have just this, this kind of singular purpose of that. Rather than I'm going to the gym to get fit, but also that I might see the kingdom of God come in that place. I'm going to work because it provides income for my family, but that I also might see people come to a saving knowledge of Christ in my workplace. It's just that, that kind of God intention that we can bring into every place. God's desire is to see all of the cultures, so whether it's family, community, nations, to see them all transformed to reflect the culture of heaven. And the culture of heaven is the culture that God desires. Heaven is exactly how God would have it. It's like if you imagine if you walked into God's house, every piece of furniture would be exactly where he wants it, all the colors would be exactly what he likes. He probably wouldn't be shopping from marketplace. But you know, like everything's perfect as God would design it. In the same way, the culture of heaven is exactly how God would design it. That's why the Lord's prayer is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because in heaven, everything is done exactly how God wants it to be done. So we're like, well, God, we want that same thing to happen on earth. It's your desire, and we partner it that it becomes our desire that we would see that happen. So our personal beliefs and values shape how we think and behave. So we behave out of those core convictions, out of those values and those belief systems. Our cultural beliefs are the ways of thinking and behaving that are expressed collectively in society. And it usually works both ways. So we shape the culture around us and we are shaped by the culture around us. You spend enough time in a critical and a cynical environment, you can end up becoming critical and cynical in how you think or speak. It's just natural that we kind of rub off on each other. So it's important that we are aware that if we're not shaping culture, then someone else is and we may end up being shaped by that culture. There's no passivity in cultural transformation. You're either being shaped by others or you're shaping others. And if you choose to not be intentional about shaping others, you will be shaped. Someone else will set the culture. If we think about the culture of the world that we live in, it is being shaped intentionally by other people. And their agenda isn't God's agenda. And as the church stays passive and withdraws itself from culture, then that culture battle is being waged and it's being won by cultures that don't reflect heaven. I'll give you an example. So tolerance is a cultural value in our society. Uh, the translation of tolerance that's often purported isn't necessarily a, a dictionary one, but it's, it's, that's the big call. You need to be tolerant. You need to be accepting. You need to be all of these things to, to things that happen in the world. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1, he says... This is talking about sexual immorality that defiles the church. He says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. 
And then it goes on to actually describe what it, was, uh, what it is. I won't say, because children are here, even though they have Bibles, they can look it up. But I'm just saying, there's this reality that Paul's addressing the church, and he's saying there's stuff that's happening in the church, in God's church, that not even the pagans would tolerate. So obviously this is a big issue, and we want to make sure that's not happening in the church. But there is this line where we would say, oh, tolerance is about accepting everyone, and yet God has a line. God has a line that he draws. God has a standard that he sets. And again, we think of standards as in, we've always put it into this basket of like, oh, well, if I cross that line, God won't save me or it's sin or it's bad, God's going to punish me. No, God's just saying, no, there's a standard that I've set that I desire you to live in. You can only achieve that standard by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you fall short of the standard of the glory of God, there is an answer for you, and that is Christ, his ultimate sacrifice paid for you on your behalf, so we need not worry. But again, as I've, de- I've described before, when we understand the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant law that the Jewish people followed, it wasn't about a standard that I must cross in order to be in, in God's family. It was like the bullseye on a target that they were aiming for because they were already in God's family. The Jewish people weren't looking to be saved. They were They were. They were under the inheritance of God already. What they desired is to live that perfect life that God would have them to live. That's why, God, you've you've adopted us into your family. We want to live for you. We want to give our all to you. And and God says, well, my law becomes the bullseye. So in the same way, there's this line that God draws that we might live above that. And it's not so in, in order to avoid the consequence of punishment from God. It's that we might live in that beautiful, wonderful place that God has called us to live in that wonderful way. So tolerance is about giving space for someone to disagree or have a different culture without there being a clash of cultures. So I think there is an element of of healthiness to tolerance, that we can be a tolerant person. Hey, you can have a different belief, you you can worship a different God, you can love different music and enjoy different food and do all these things and I don't need to conform you to to my way. Even if someone's not a follower of Jesus, I don't have an expectation that they will act like a follower of Jesus. But oftentimes, that's how the church relates to culture. Well, the church just wants everyone to behave like Christians without Jesus, without the saving knowledge of Christ, without the power of the Holy Spirit, without a Christian community around them to help them to do that. Well, what hope have have they got? (laughs) But there is still a standard. Now, if someone says, hey, I want to follow Jesus, like, cool, this is the standard that he calls us to live to. And through discipleship, we get transformed into his likeness that we might conform to those ways. Our modern expression of tolerance is actually the opposite of that. It's almost like if you don't agree with my values, then you are intolerant. So people would look at the church and say, you're intolerant of these kind of sexual expressions that exist in the, in the, in the world. And the reality is like, yeah, we are. And God is intolerant of those things. Now, what do we do to, to heal, to restore is, is the, the big part of the kind of question that we need to ask and the journey we need to go on. Because the reality is that the culture of the world has set a standard that is ungodly because the church has withdrawn from its role of being culture shapers. So it's actually on us. It's, it's our responsibility to see the culture of heaven infiltrate the cultures of the world which is what we're talking about in this, in this series, is to understand these different seven mountains of influence, they are shaping culture. The media is shaping culture. Yeah. Politics is shaping culture. Education is shaping culture. And it's interesting that you, if you look at 
Same, same battles being waged in politics. That's also been waged in media. That's also been waged in education. It's this same kind of concerted effort to bring about these values and infuse this culture on the earth. And where's the church? Off playing in the religion mountain, which no one really cares about. <laughs> Whilst the other six mountains are being consumed by ungodly values. So if the church isn't setting the culture, somebody else will. And the reality is the church in the West is losing the culture war because people are intentionally shaping culture. People are, they're saying, we don't want these values anymore. You look at even in recent years, there's been some particular political movements and, and when you read their values, their core values of what they represent, they are for the destruction of the nuclear family. Like they, they put it out very clearly. They're trying to, to destroy the nuclear family. So what does that do? It separates mothers and fathers. It has children growing up in, in separated environments where they don't have a mother or they don't have a father. So they don't have the full reflection of the image of God to be present to them, to be raised in those sorts of places. But you see how generationally it's going to have this massive impact. If we don't actually stand up and say, oh, we need to do something about that. But it's not by going to war in, in the way that you know, we might think. It's the same way the disciples said to Jesus, like, all right, Jesus, you've arrived. The Messiah has come. We're ready. All right, we've got our swords. We're ready to, you know, to cut some heads off. and overtake. You, you, You're going to overthrow the Roman government now. And Jesus is like, that's, that's not how my kingdom works. That's not how my kingdom is going to come. It's not going to be this military overflow. It's going to be a kingdom cultural infiltration into every aspect of culture. And he talks about the leaven of the kingdom. When you need leaven into the dough, all of a sudden that dough takes on a whole new form. And it only takes on that new form because of the leaven that's present. But all of a sudden when that dough is, is expanded, when that bread, that loaf is cooked, you can't get in there and extract the leaven out of it. But the whole thing is shaped. That's Jesus' plan. That's Jesus' way of transforming culture is that we would be carriers of the culture of the kingdom. And as we infuse that into every space, overtly and covertly, it doesn't have to be, hi, I'm a Christian. I've just come here to infiltrate this workplace with the culture of heaven. Uh, if you can just give me a leadership role, please, so that I can be in the dominant position that no one would disagree and I'm going to shape this culture. Inside. No, no, it's, it's the opposite of that, Hopefully. I don't know if anyone's tried that, and if it worked, let me know. Um, but it's actually just, no, I'm just, I just carry the culture of heaven. I, I carry the heart of the Father. I walk in the ways of Jesus, and I seek to impact and shift the culture around me by the way that I relate, the way that I love, the way that I serve, the way I live generously. Like, it's all of these really simple, basic ways, but it starts to change the culture around you. The church existed in the power position in the Western world for many years. There was a cultural norm that aligned with Christian values. And as that has slipped away, the church has failed to transition into a culture-shaping movement and has mostly removed itself from the world or expected the world to consult the church on what the culture should be. Why isn't the world coming to us, asking us what we want? And the answer is because they just don't care because the culture has moved so far away from Christian values. As much as it might be built upon that foundation, there might be Judeo-Christian values in the foundation. The, the structure has lent 
far away from those things. So the church has then stood in opposition to the ways of the world. The issue is opposition often prevents change, but it doesn't produce change. Opposition stops something from happening, but it doesn't produce anything good. So it's like the church has been going around plugging all of the holes in the boat, you know, trying to stop this thing from sinking or just standing against all, no, we don't stand for that, no, we don't stand for that, no, we don't stand for that. As the power position has, has diminished for the church in culture, then the culture just keeps on moving. The world is very aware of what the church is against. I'm sure if you ask someone who's not a Christian, who's, who's not part of the church, hey, tell me what the church is against. Well, they're against this, and we, we know they're against that, and we know they're against that. But I wonder if you ask people, what's the church for? What's the church love? What's the church doing in the world that's bringing positivity and impact? And I wonder if people would have very few answers to give. We've existed in a defensive position when Jesus told us to live on the offensive. And there's no middle ground in culture where we're either shaping culture or we're being shaped by culture. That is that scripture. You know, Jesus says to Peter, you are the rock. And on this rock, I'll build my church, my ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That means as the church is advancing, the gates of hell, this is not in my sermon, but I'll throw a little one out there. Um, gates represent the main place in a city where consultation would happen. Where, where legislation would be formed, where ideas would be shared and shaped by people. So when they talk about gates, there was this place of kind of, of commerce and interaction. It was this place of influence that existed in a city. So when we think about even these seven mountains, and the, there's, there are gatekeepers in these mountains, but these gates are places of influence and these kind of collectives of people that if we're not impacting with the kingdom of God, then they'll continue to be shaped by that. But Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against the expanding kingdom. So we know there is a strategy available to us from God to overrun these gates, to break through these gates. There is all the power in heaven available to us to do that. But maybe we need to just be less absorbed with all of these other not so important things and get a little bit more focused on what's really important to God. God, I'm important to God. He says, your, your life is important to me. But he says to me, Matthew 6.33, don't worry about provision, your daily provision. Seek first my kingdom and righteousness and those things will be provided for you. So God absolutely cares. He cares for the birds in the field. He, he cares for the flowers. Like he, he really cares, but he's not absorbed in what I might be absorbed in if I'm self-absorbed. God says, you care for my stuff, I'll care for your stuff. Deal. Amen? Culture is constantly moving and changing. It has been strategically influenced by those who don't carry the heart and agenda of God. If we do nothing, we will lose. It's not, the world is not static waiting for the church to do something. This, the, this, the world is moving, and if the church doesn't engage, then it will continue moving further away from God. 
So to shape the world around us with the culture of heaven, we need to be immersing ourselves in the culture of heaven ourselves. This, this is why it matters what we watch, what we listen to, what we engage with, the people we spend time with. They're either going to be representing the culture of heaven or they're not. Now, again, I'm not saying, oh, don't have non-Christian. No, no, absolutely have non-Christian friends, but go in with the intentionality, prayed up, expecting that I'm going to come and have a positive impact in this place. I'm going to reflect the culture of heaven to these people. And again, thinking higher level, this is what the importance of prayer and intercession is that principalities and powers that are spoken of in the Bible, they shape how people think. They, they set philosophies. I'm not sure the last time you saw a principality in power operating over a region. Unless you have a seer gift, you probably haven't ever seen that. Who's seen a principality in power before? Yeah. The number of people that I would have expected. <laughs> okay. But the scriptures say, but this is, what, this is what leads, you know, Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. You know, we don't wage war against the flesh, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. Like, that's where the battle is being waged. And you better believe you've been called into war. You better believe you've been called into war with God against principalities and powers. Not against people, against principalities and powers. So they're having an influence and they shape culture. They shape through philosophies, through ways of thinking. And now again, I think people can partner with principalities and powers so they can be the voice peace for those values and those perspectives and that shapes culture in that way. But there is a spiritual, intentional oppression that happens on different cultures. That's why when you go to a particular neighborhood, there might be a particular sense of oppression over that place or maybe a high level of, of drug addiction or a high level of, of abuse, high, high levels of different things. That's where there's principalities and powers. It might just feel dark and just might just feel kind of gross and you might even, even though you've never seen it with your eyes, you might have experienced that. Like you've, you've driven into a town, you're like, oh, this place just feels kind of gross and I don't want to be here anymore. You're experiencing those principalities and powers. The Apostle Paul says, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Again, another reminder, we are waging war. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Strongholds are ungodly patterns of thinking, structures of thinking. It says, verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. War, captivity, punishment. <laughs> That's what we're in. That's what we're called to. Again, not against people, but against even these principalities and powers. And again, this is not a sermon on principalities and powers, but to understand that there are ways of thinking that are being influenced by ungodly yet heavenly representatives that have authority on the earth. So we need to be praying. We need to be in intercession. I was here on Friday. There's two people in prayer. Now, again, you might not be available on a Friday. If you are available on a Friday, there's an opportunity that you can come and partner in intercession. There's two times a week. They're just corporate times. So you can pray anytime, anywhere you want. But all I'm saying is there's opportunities for you to partner with others in prayer at those times as well. Cool? All right. So to see the culture of heaven formed around us, we need the culture of heaven within us. This is the point of inner healing. 
So Elijah House, inner transformation, inner healing, prayer ministry, all of this stuff is bringing our internal world into alignment with God's value set, with God's belief system. Uh, what they talk about with Elijah House is evangelizing the unbelieving parts of the human heart. So where our heart is in agreement with lies, that it could come into truth. Where we are, we are trapped in bondage or trauma, it can come into healing and freedom. But we need to understand what's the point of my breakthrough then. If I'm having personal breakthrough, I can then enjoy the freedom that comes from personal breakthrough. Yes, I was in bondage to sin and now I'm free from that sin. I had all of this trauma that was causing anxiety. God has healed my heart. I'm free from the impact of that trauma. Now I can actually live in freedom and, and, and peace. And that's wonderful to receive the personal benefits of God's transforming work. But I think there's a much more significant unto than just you receiving the, the benefit of that. My perspective is I get healed that I might help others to be healed. I get set free by Jesus that I might see others walk in freedom. I receive revelation from God that I might help others to step into a greater measure of truth for themselves. Jesus served us that we might become servants of him and other people. There is always an unto, but I think sometimes we can, kind of, we can receive from God not realizing that we've been given a portion in order to give away. That's why you've become a wellspring of living water flowing out of you. Not just so that you can try and catch all and shove it back in your mouth, is that it might overflow from you and be given away to others. That is the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus was completely 100% not for his own benefit, not for the outcomes. from. He did not need to die on the cross for himself. <laughs> he did not need to come to the earth for himself. It wasn't a vacation for Jesus. He did it all for you and he set the pattern that you might follow after that. Not that you might be a receiver, but you might receive the fullness of Christ, which is his nature and his perspective and his desire, which is then to go and live for him. Galatians 2.22, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lived, lives in me and the life that I now live, I live for the glory of God. I live unto Christ. Everything that I do, that's why I live. We just sung it. I give my life to you, Jesus. Is that all right? Yeah. Oh, better be. That's, that's what Jesus said. Anyway. <laughs> so a helpful framework for when it comes, when we are out there in culture, understanding what do we do with different values that might conflict with ours. And there's three words that I find helpful, and that is reject, redeem, and receive. So there are aspects in every culture that are opposed to the culture of heaven. So sexual immorality is opposed to the kingdom of heaven, the values of heaven. So what we'd say is as we, as we enter out into culture, we'd say, well, I, I can't receive sexual immorality. I, I'm not going to come into agreement with that. So that would be a value I'm not going to take on board and I would reject that value. There are certain things in culture that we actually need to say, no, that stuff, that actually has no place on earth. Not just in the church, on, on earth, there are certain things that we need to stand against. There are aspects of culture that are aligned with the culture of heaven. 
And so those things, we say, I can receive that part of culture. I can be in my workplace and there's people, man, they, they, they really encourage one another here. And man, the, the boss is so generous with everyone. And, and wow, the, the colleagues, like they give time for people. And, and when they talk about clients behind their back, they're always just honoring of them. And you're like, wow, that's a, that's a culture of heaven right there. They might not be Christians, they not, might not be aware, but it's like, hey, that's a, that's a good cultural dimension that reflects the culture of heaven. So you can receive those things. And then there are aspects of culture that have been distorted and only partly reflect the culture of heaven. These are the things that need to be redeemed and restored to God's original design. An example would be something like um, kind of... Uh, not, probably not tarot card reading, but you know, like uh, spiritualism and, and those sorts of things where people, uh, I'm lost for it. clairvoyancy, all of that sort of stuff. Okay. So this is a distortion. This is people seeing things spiritually, but they've probably been raised maybe in a family or they've been raised in a culture that says, hey, yeah, this is, this is all good. Just run with it. They're not necessarily hearing from God. Uh, they're picking up unhealthy things, but that person might have a gift, an inherent gift from God to be able to see and engage with the spiritual realm. So it's about, hey, drawing them in and doing a journey to say that can be healed, that can be restored, that can be redeemed for the glory of God. So if you're engaging with a clairvoyant, you're like my hope would be that they might come to know Jesus, that their gift might be redeemed, that there might be a voice piece for God. And that's, again, going to be a journey. But that's an example of something to be redeemed in culture. There's lots of things that are, they're kind of good, but they're a little bit distorted. And our role is to see them redeemed. So not everything in culture is bad. Not everything in culture is good. How do we decide? Obviously, it's, it's a matter of, does it match with the Bible? Is it in alignment with the commands of God? Does it reflect the nature of Jesus? Is that that cultural thing that's happening, does that reflect the nature of Jesus? That's my measure in life is, would Jesus do that? Would Jesus say that? Would Jesus think that? And if the answer is no, then I know I've got to change. Another way that we can decide is, does it produce righteousness, peace, and joy. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Again, really important little bit there. It's not man-made righteousness. It's not human-made peace. It's not what I consider joy to be. Ha ha, have a laugh. It's Holy Spirit embodied. It's Holy Spirit enacted. It's got to be in the Holy Spirit. So it's when the Spirit of God is present, which is the presence of God, then those things naturally come about. The presence of God ushers in these values. Righteousness, again, is not just the absence of evil and sin. It is the presence of God. When God is present, righteousness abounds. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of God. We can seek peace by avoiding hard things in life. Oh, I'm, in, I'm in such peace. I, I, I remember someone that I knew, and, uh, and they, weren't, uh, they weren't a follower of Jesus, but they were right into um, meditation and you know, Buddhism and all this sort of stuff. And they're like, oh, I just love just living in peace and all these things. And I'm like, cool. You also don't have kids. <laughs> <coughs> And you don't want to have kids ever. And it's like, cool, that's one way to have more peace in your life. 
Like, but, but for this person, like, it was all about removing things that would, would rob them of peace. And it's like, but that's a false peace. God can bring peace in the most tumultuous circumstance. Because when God is present, then his peace is there, and you can have peace in the midst of a storm. That's why Jesus can sleep in the boat when the storm is raging all around him. He's like, what are you guys worried about? Okay, I'll, I'll stop the storm to stop you whinging so I can get some sleep, maybe, is what he was thinking. That's what I would have been thinking if I was Jesus. You know, joy is not the absence of pain. It's the presence of God. So you can be in a, in a place of mourning, and yet God, God can bring joy. That joy could bubble up even in that moment. Wherever God is present, his kingdom has come. Psalm 1611 says, you, know, uh, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. So where God is present, joy is present, life is present, righteousness is present, peace is present. So again, as we go out to wage war on culture, with all of the values and the ways of Jesus, we need to understand if the Holy Spirit's not coming with us, then we're going to be doing a battle against potentially principalities and powers or other cultures just in our own kind of worldly ways, our own human ways or fleshly ways. So we need to understand it's only you, Jesus, that can bring that change. It's only your presence, God, coming into this place that can bring about that change. So part of our role in transforming culture is bringing the reality of the presence of God and all of the corresponding values into every place that we go. You know, we talk about the glory of God. I like John Piper's, well, I may have just made my own version of it, but he talks about the glory of God being uh, the manifest expression of all of the divine attributes of God. Everything that God represents when that gets manifested, so made real, made visible, made known in a place, then his glory has come. So as we carry the presence of God everywhere that we go, as we intentionally seek in obedience to the Holy Spirit to infuse those places, then the glory of God has come into, the glory of God can come into your workplace. It might not look like someone being miraculously healed or a, or a demon getting cast out. It might. Hey, we're open to that too. But as the culture shifts, as God's presence is manifest in that place, his glory comes. And that whole place can feel different. So the journey that we're on, is, it starts with shaping the culture of our own hearts. This is why we put such a high value on that heart journey, is that if, if I'm going to manifest something, it has to be present within me. Otherwise, it's going to be informed by my own flesh or those unredeemed areas of my own heart and it's not going to produce the fullness of fruit. So I need to even look in my own heart and say, God, are there things in my heart that I need to reject? Are there things in my heart that I can receive or are there things in my heart that you need to redeem? And I'm sure there's a list. I could make a long list for myself right now. You know. It's about shaping the culture of our, of our home, of our relationships, of the people, our kind of close circle of friends. It's about shaping the cultures of the place that we visit regularly to reflect the desires of God for that place. What is God rejecting in that place? What is he receiving? What is he redeeming? But we've got to be asking those questions, yeah? 
We're going to be inquiring of God. God, what do you have for my workplace? What do you have for my family? What do you have for my neighborhood? Because he has a desire and he has a plan and he has a purpose and he's waiting for us to engage with him in that place. Last thing I want to share is three helpful ways that we can shift the atmosphere in a place. Real simple. First one is thankfulness. If you find yourself in a place, I'm like, man, this, maybe it's your workplace. It's like, this place isn't reflecting the culture of heaven. Start in yourself stepping into thankfulness. When we step into thankfulness, it awakens our heart to what God has done. Thankfulness is a really, really valuable gift because we can start to acknowledge, God, you've done this and you're so good and you've, and you've, you've done this in my life. You've changed this. We start to be reminded of the power of God, of the presence of God, of all the things that he's done, but it awakens our heart to what he's done. Then worship. So we go thankfulness and then we step into worship. Worship awakens our heart to who God is. Because again, worship isn't, God, this is what you've done for me. That's thankfulness. Worship is, this is who you are. Regardless of they are, they are absolute truths. They are objective truths. <laughs> it's not about whether I've experienced or I think it's, it's that is who you are. And we start to acknowledge God and that starts to shift the atmosphere. It raises our perspective to say, this is who you are and this is what you can do. And then declaration is the third one. Thankfulness, worship, declaration. And then declaration is when we start to release that into the atmosphere around us. So God, you've saved my life. You've transformed my heart. You've, you've, you've provided every day for me, Lord. I'm so thankful for what you've done because God, I know that you are a, my provider, that you are, you are the provider of your people, Lord, that you are so generous. You are so great. You are so mighty and I, and I worship you, Lord. And so Father, I thank you out of your generosity, Lord, that you wanted to bless my workplace. You're wanting to bless my neighborhood with generosity, Father. Where there is poverty, Lord, I declare breakthrough and increase um, that, that poverty would be broken, that increase and financial provision would come to my neighbours, Lord. And, and where you've set me free, I thank you, Lord, that you, are, that you would wage war against the principalities and powers that would keep my neighbourhood oppressed and would keep people in unemployment and keep people hungry. See how easy it is? How simple it is? But if we just do it, we'll see the change. We'll see the shift. Amen? Amen. All right. It's... Past time on my plot, but it says 11.14 there. So we've got one, oh, it's 11.15. We've got 55 seconds to pray. We run on the clock right here. That's no, all right. We've told kids that we'll be a couple of minutes. But hey, why don't you stand with me? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We just thank you, Jesus, that you are awakening your bride, Lord. Even right across the earth, Lord, we just pray a blessing over the bride of Christ in every nation, Lord. In this region, Father, in this city, we just pray a blessing over your church, your bride, Lord. That she is your treasure that you delight in your bride, Lord, and, and we are not here to disparage anyone, Lord, but we're, we just pray that you would call us all up to a higher level of understanding, that you would call us all up to a higher level of, of revelation, Lord, of who you are, but also what you are doing on the earth. Father, where we have retreated, I pray that you would call us and you would shape us and you would shift us to be ones who would go. 
that you would awaken our eyes to see all of the opportunities that we have to impact people, to impact culture around us, Lord. We know it's your desire to see your kingdom come and your will done on earth. It's what you pray, Jesus, and we want to see your desires come about, Lord. We want to see your desires come about, but it's not going to come about by us sitting back and doing nothing, Lord. That you've invited us in to the mighty work that you're doing, transforming nations, discipling nations, Lord. So, Father, we just repent for any of the ways that even when we've allowed unheavenly culture in our own hearts, in our relationships, Lord, where we've stood back and tolerated things that we shouldn't have tolerated, Lord, where we've received things from the culture around us, Lord, that actually don't reflect your heart, that don't reflect the kingdom, that don't reflect the nature of Jesus. And we just ask for your conviction, Holy Spirit, and your grace to walk in new ways, Lord that grace, that that repentance would do its full work, that our mindsets would be shifted, Lord. Father, we thank you that there's no condemnation for us, for those who are in Christ, called according to your purpose, Lord. But Lord, we don't want to use that as as a reason to not deal with the things that we need to deal with in our own hearts, Lord. Father, would you teach us how to cultivate heaven in our hearts, Lord? how to cultivate heaven in our homes, how to cultivate heaven in our friendships, Lord, in our relationships, Lord, in in marriages, in families, in friendships, amongst our work colleagues, Lord, in our neighbourhood, Jesus. Oh, how great it would be to see heaven come to our home, heaven come to our work, heaven come to our friendship circles, heaven come to this city, Lord. But we thank you, Lord, that you're calling us to a higher calling. And we thank you, Lord, that even this this week where we've seen the opposition, Lord, we know that the gates of hell will not prevail against your advancing ecclesia, Lord, your advancing church, God. And you are advancing your church, Lord. And we say yes and amen to the mighty work that you're doing. We say yes and amen to the mighty work you're doing, Jesus. And we say, here I am, send me, Lord. Here I am, send me. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, God. We bless you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.